morning church. I'm Pastor Isaac. Let's pray for God's help. God, each day can feel so ordinary, yet you are an extraordinary God. Help us to meet with you now. Help us to discover more clearly your incredible nature. Nurture our hearts, our minds, and our hands to complete the missions you are sending us to. Be our peace, but agitate us where we need to change. Guide me and my words by your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. And together we can say, Amen. Imagine with me. It's a regular day in the office. There are tasks to complete, a coffee habit to maintain, another ordinary day. Retirement might not feel too long away. And on the way to the photocopier, you notice through the window a strange sight. It captivates you. In the car park, a bush is on fire, yet it is not consumed. You go out and hear, Isaac, Isaac. So you respond, here am I. Do not come near. Take off your shoes. The place where you are standing is holy ground. I am God. And the afflictions, I have seen the afflictions of my people in China. You were to enter the Communist Party. You were to book a flight to Beijing, China. You were to enter the Communist Party headquarters. Barge into Chairman Xi Jinping's office. One of the most powerful people in the world. Unannounced and demand the release of all religious prisoners. I am sending you. What would it take for you to consider such insanity? Don't bother booking that return trip, return ticket. This by any human effort would be a one-way trip. Yet this is like the mission Moses is sending is being sent on by God. Now next week, Pastor Duncan will deal with Moses' response, who am I? Our passage this week prepares us to respond to the mission of God with a different question. Who is God? Who we believe God is will determine if we'll ever march up to a pharaoh, a chairman, a boss, a colleague, a family member or friend, and share the information. Share, I have information from God that you need to know. So here's how we're going to tackle this big question, who is God? Now, you'll of course not leave today knowing everything there is to know about God, but we'll consider what Exodus chapter 2 verse 23 through to chapter 3, verse 10 offers. And we're going to do it under two headings and four subpoints. Um, so this is either a two-point or an eight-point sermon, depending on what makes you feel better. Who is God? We are exploring God's nature and God's nurture. Under God's nature, God remembers, hears, sees, and knows. Under God's nature, sorry, nurture to us, God comes, calls, reminds, sends. Let's get into it. Uh, if you've got your Bibles there, in whatever form, open to Exodus chapter 2, verse 23. During those many days, the king of Egypt 
died. And the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God. Spot the actions. And God heard their groaning and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. God saw the people of Israel and God knew. We're going to start with God remembered. Now to orient ourselves, we're going to start with this idea called covenant that God remembered. So turn to the screens. We're going to watch a video for about two minutes to explore the idea of covenant. Thanks, Matt. If these kind of videos are helpful for you, if you find that visual really helpful, the Bible Project has uh, obviously the rest of that video uh, and many more that can be very helpful to find. You can find that at bibleproject.com. And they're all available for free. In just a few chapters of Exodus, we have already witnessed the terrible outcomes that result from humanity's rejection of partnership with God. The nation of Israel is enslaved, an outworking of Egypt's fear and greed. We've seen the horror of infanticide committed. 
God's summary of humanity as he announces the Noahic covenant is proven in Genesis 8, 21. The intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. Despite this sorry state, God has promised to not wipe the world clean with another flood. In Genesis 9, God offers a new way to restore partnership with humanity. God is working with one covenant family, Abraham's family, into which all people will eventually be invited back into partnership with God. God knows that this is not going to be a smooth ride for Abraham and his descendants, for while God is completely faithful, each generation will struggle with their commitment to God. They will attempt their will and ways in their timing instead of trusting in God. And here is just a sampling of examples. Abraham fears God will not provide him with a son through his wife, so he tries by his own means to accomplish this. Genesis 16, that's from. In Genesis 26, we see Isaac fears for his own life because of how attractive his wife is. A common experience for Isaacs. And repeats a deceptive trick he learnt from his dad in Genesis 20. And Jacob, the classic study of I did it my way, stealing his father's blessing in Genesis 27. And compounding each generation's faithfulness struggle is the pressure from the broken world around them. One false tempting idea if the world is centered around me, the individual, is the thought that God is simply reacting to humanity, as if each time we sin, God somehow manages to pull together enough bits of his original plan that it somehow still works. God's covenants help us remember that God is indeed in control. God has set the course of humanity, and it's actually us playing catch-up to God's plans, not the other way around. God does not forget his covenants. He is bringing them to their completion. So consider with me the state of the Abrahamic covenant as we come to Moses. Within God's covenant to Abraham, he promised to make Israel into a great nation in the land God provides, and they would be a blessing to humanity. Now, Israel indeed is great in number, but they are lowly in slave status. They know the location of the promised land, yet they are not living in it. Through Joseph, we witness a foretaste of the blessing on all humanity that God can bring through Israel, but this too is incomplete. Furthermore, Moses, the fleeing murderer, the anticipated leader, has been rejected by the Israelites who appear more content to fight amongst themselves. This is hardly the covenant community of God in experience. And look back with me when God made his covenant with Abraham in Genesis 15, verses 13 to 14. It says, Then the Lord said to Abraham, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs, and, there, and will be servants there. And they will be afflicted for 400 years, but I will bring judgment on the nations that they serve. And afterward they shall come out with great possessions. 
No, none of these events surprise God. God remembers his plans, his promises and partnership. And while God's chosen family fails in their commitment, God is faithful to his covenant. With this background, we are ready to meet the God who hears, sees and knows. The temptation is to think that God is deaf, blind and ignorant to suffering. God only hears the cry of injustice. God sees it all. And God even warned Abraham that this would be the experience of his descendants back in Genesis 15. Israel's slavery comes as no surprise to God. He knows. And knows is it's more than an intellectual word. When Abraham, sorry, when Adam knew Eve back in Genesis 4-1, Cain was born. For any confused teenagers present, ask your parents on the car ride home. It won't be dull. The word new here in Exodus 2.25 is the same word. It is intimate knowing. God is not some distant, all-seeing, all-knowing, impersonal thing somewhere in the universe passively consuming all data. Though sometimes I wonder if this is almost a description of the internet. No, God knows you. God knows his people intimately. God knows every injustice inflicted upon the Israelites, every roof upon their back, every drowned baby boy, every brick and blister, every cruelty. And God will hold everyone to account for everything that is, for he knows it all. No one and no injustice can escape God's judgment. And we will see in the coming weeks the ten plagues and plunder of Egypt as very tangible expressions of justice. God is about to unveil the rescue plan that he knew was needed long before Joseph ever set foot in Egypt. And God has already set this rescue plan in motion 80 years prior with the birth of of Moses. So what's the implication for us? Our experience can be so limited to our present circumstances. I hope you will find comfort in the God who knows, knows about our circumstances more than even we do, who puts in place rescues plans long before we knew we needed them. I hope you find comfort in the God who hears, cry out to God, who is indeed listening. And we shall see in the coming verses and chapters, God chooses to work in partnership with people to complete his plans and promises. Moses, albeit reluctantly at first, will be nurtured by God to complete God's will, God's way, in God's timing. God's nurture starts with God's presence. God comes a regular day in the wilderness for Moses. There are tasks to complete. Food and water must be found. Wandering sheep must be kept close to the flock. There are predators to protect against. Another ordinary day as a shepherd. Perhaps at 80, retirement feels not too long away. Into the ordinary, the monotony, the extraordinary breaks in. God comes down to Moses. 
at Horeb, the angel of the Lord appears to him from a fiery bush. Now, there's a bit going on here, so let's break down each component. First of all, Horeb. This is the mountain of God. Horeb may be another name or a regional name for Mount Sinai. And this place matters in Exodus because of God's presence on it. Not because the place in and of itself is somehow special. A mountain is a mountain. It is God's presence that makes ground holy. The angel of the Lord. This is a really interesting figure in the Old Testament because of how closely it is identified with God's presence, yet also can be in the presence of sinners without them being destroyed. Now, this is considered by some a pre-incarnate appearance of Christ. Let me suggest that we can state with confidence that this is at least a foreshadowing of Christ. The angel of the Lord points us to Christ, who is both fully God in all his holiness, yet also able to dwell amongst sinners. So likewise, the angel of the Lord will act as a mediator between Moses and God. And we'll see in time that Moses will also act as a mediator between Israel and God. But it is Jesus who is the greatest mediator, the fulfillment of this role. And you can turn to Hebrews 3 uh, in your time to have a look through this. Fire. Fire is connected in Exodus with the presence of God. God went before the Israelite nation as a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. Fire helps us picture the dangerous holiness of God's presence. In a furnace, fire burns away impurities. And likewise, impurity cannot survive in the presence of God without some kind of mediator between. And the bush. I encourage you, keep, in, keep a lookout for other bushes and trees throughout the Bible. They certainly seem to crop up in important places. But contemplate the holy God coming to be present among sinners. As we do this, my mind is drawn to, the Jesus, to Jesus who wins freedom for enslaved sinners from a tree, this time nailed to it. I love how God takes the first step. God initiates the relationship. God comes down to us. And from the start, it is God who comes to nurture this partnership. God's unique presence from the burnt, burning but unburnt bush draws Moses over to investigate. Into this moment, God calls. Now, one of my unique experiences growing up as a child was the opportunity to head over uh, to South Korea and we got to visit my uh, little sister's foster home that was she was in for the first few months of her life. Now, for nine-year-old Isaac, this was a crash course in cultural etiquette. For instance, shoes were off but slippers were on. Our, our host, they, they graciously provided what was purple squid pizza and cola. Uh, that was a very accommodating for us as Western visitors. And, and I was discovering these things that were sticks that apparently you can get food into your mouth with. Um, that, that was an ex quite a uh, cultural um, crash course, let's say. But God has come down and is calling Moses, first twice by name, and then gives a cr 
crash course in divine etiquette. Uh, They're going to spend a bit of time together in the coming uh, chapters, so he's going to need the help. Uh, And in verses 4 to 5, this is what it says. Then the Lord saw that he had turned aside to see. God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. And then he said, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy holy ground. Here is Moses meeting the all-knowing, holy creator and covenant sustainer of the universe. And it kind of sounds like school roll call. Moses, Moses, here. Don't confuse what God does next. Do not come near is not, being, is not God being distant. God is protecting Moses. Be warned, God is holy. Do not, command, do not take lightly God's presence or you risk destruction. And this warning, it's followed by a command. Take off your sandals. This is a special meeting, Moses. God is nurturing Moses through how to meet with God. God makes sure Moses hasn't missed or or misunderstood who he is talking with. Now, if the angel and fire were not enough of an introduction, God confirms, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Now Moses clicks. The light well, well, the oil lamp, turns on and he hides his face, afraid to look at God. Moses, the failure, the fugitive, and the foreigner is in front of God. Now at this point, I'd be thinking in a self-centered world, I'm done. My past is finally caught up. It's all over. Look at verse 7 to 9. God reminds Moses not of his past, but of God's nature. Then the Lord said, spot those key actions again, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and I have heard their cry before their taskmasters. I know their suffering, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians. And I will bring them up to the land up out of that land to a good and broad land, to a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Hezrites, the Hivites, and Jezebites. And now behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppress them. Moses, I've seen, I've heard, I know, I've come down to deliver Israel, the nation you belong to that would have mattered to Moses would you I will rescue you from all the Egyptians and take you to a land of generous abundance it's time for my will my way and the timing is now now the farmer's son I only clicked recently about the implications of milk and honey Um, milk means there's grass calves and lambs Uh, in the paddock, healthy and productive herds. Honey means lots of crops to pollinate, fruit and vegetables to harvest. It sounds like a new garden of Eden. And God knew that the the obstacles the Israelites were going to face in Egypt 
And here too, God is not ignorant that the promised land is currently inhabited. God will deal with the obstacles Moses sees in himself too next week. Moses and the Israelites will do well to remind themselves of God's nature and nurture, revealed in his interactions with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And God's faithfulness, past faithfulness, is meant to be motivation for our present faith. So too will Israel need to look back on the Exodus when their time comes to move with confidence forward into the promised land. Now, if Moses wasn't in shock already, what God has to say next must have blown his mind. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. What would it take for you to consider such insanity? Will you try like Moses to shake off such responsibility by declaring, who am I for such a task? Or will you instead consider the nature of who is sending you? Consider the Lord God who hears, sees, and knows all. The God who remembers his covenant, who is faithfully fulfilling his plans and promises in partnership with his people. Now, God may not come to you in a burning bush. I imagine after bushfires, no one's too keen for that. But he has come in Jesus nailed to a different bush. And God has come present in his Holy Spirit and is with us. God is calling you by name. And he will nurture you in all that he needs from you for partnership together in fulfilling his plans and promises his way. God reminds us about his nature giving us in the Bible account after account that reveals who he is. Meditate on these to have confidence moving forward. So God is sending you. It might not be to China. It might not be to Egypt. Though it could be to Thailand or Murumba State School. Or it could be your workplace, your university, your school. It could be the mission field that is youth on a Friday night. Or it could be the mission field that is playgroup families throughout the week. It could be Inverpine. Or it could be reading the Bible with the person sitting next to you right now. God is sending you to bring people out of slavery to sin. And God will nurture you along the way as you trust in his nature. But also let us partner with you in this experience too. What would it take for you to consider such insanity? I hope nothing less than God. Let's pray. Holy, holy, holy God. Thank you for revealing your nature. Thank you for coming near, calling us and reminding us of who you are and sending us out in partnership to complete your plans and promises. Help us to grow in our commitment to you. Show us the step we can take this week. Help us by your Holy Spirit in us. 
see the why behind what we do. In Jesus' name we pray, and together we declare, Amen.